Which company wished a happy Father's Day to people who weren't their customers? The answer to that at the end of the show. My name's Tom Scott, and this is Lateral. Welcome to the show, a kind of full-body yoga where even your mind has to bend and stretch. So joining us in the studio today, we start with Beryl Cheroshevsky. Hi. Now, last time we were on, we rattled through a lot of questions uh, between the group very, very quickly. Um, so I'm going to ask, what is it that you're working on now that you are really looking forward to producing? Do you mean like for my channel? Or like life in general. <laughs> I mean, I can ask it as a big existential question. Yeah, I wasn't I was, sure. I was just going for the YouTube channel. All right. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like love, loss. Um, <laughs> okay, sorry. I'll answer that more accurately. Um, can I just pick up or do you have to ask that question once more? Honestly, that'll probably stay in. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Coming up, I have a new series launching that is going to help people learn how to navigate international grocery stores a little bit better, where people from those cultures are going to guide me through different stores. So we're going to a Filipino grocery store. We're going to a Middle Eastern grocery store. That way you could go and not just kind of walk around befuddled by everything. You keep having format ideas that I'm like... There's a point at which an idea is so good that I get angry about it, and you keep <laughs> having those. It's not like, I could do that series. I've got no cooking experience. I'm just, just genuinely impressed by that. Yeah. Also joining us, we have, from Nothing But Tech, Jacqueline Dallas. Thanks for having me on. I totally agree with that. The format is, like, everything. Like, if you have a brilliant idea, it's like Hot Ones on YouTube, where it's, like, the progressively hotter and hotter wings, and then the questions, that is just so brilliant. What's your format at the moment, then? What are you, uh, what are you working on? Ooh. Yeah, I've been doing more day-in-life reviews for fraud stuff. So again, like that dual narrative, like hot ones you watch to like see how the guest reacts to the wings and then also see their answers to the questions. And for tech videos, it's like you're watching to see how the product performs, but then also what I'm doing on a day-to-day. And then I'm also doing interviews with tech executives. Did I see a custom mug there? Was that your own brand of mug? Yes. Oh my God, good eye. Same, so, same. No way. <laughs> I love it. Experimental sample, uh, sample merch here. I want so. that in my life. Tom, I'm going to instant buy that the second you make it available. (laughs) And the third member of the panel returning to the show, we have Alec from Technology Connections. Alec, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's wonderful to be back. What are you working on at the minute? What is is in the future as we record this, but in the past as people listen? I'm going back to basics, actually. I'm just talking about a very simple thing and how it works. Um, And I was just staring at it. It was like, you know, I don't really understand how those work. So, uh, that's what I'm doing. You're going to learn all about the photocell light controls that turn streetlights off during the day. I love that. I, I think about that all the time. I'm not even being sarcastic. I think it's such a cool idea. They are a lot weirder than you think. I believe it. Like I was, I was like, that's how that works. So I hopefully it's a good video. There's like this one moment in New York City where you can be in Central Park and all of the lights come on. And it's always very magical if you can time it perfectly. That's magic. Good luck to all three of you. Solving the questions on this show is a bit like living in a dreamscape. Nothing quite makes sense, and at some point tonight you'll wake up going, ah! But while you're still lucid, we'll start you off with the first question, which is... A question sent in by Ellis, thank you very much. Why was the Polish charity Ecologic Group doubly sad when it received an unexpected phone bill for $2,700? And one more time, why was the Polish charity Ecologic Group doubly sad when it received an unexpected phone bill for $2,700? 
I like that it was like doubly sad, meaning yeah. they like they didn't know that they had a phone. Must mm. have been the reason they had. <laughs> or they were expecting the they were expecting a bill that was only thirteen fifty. <laughs> Who were they calling? <laughs> mm. They were sad. They were they were sad. They're a Polish eco group. They were sad because it should have all been paid for by solar and wind power and not by money power. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I'm guessing no. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brain's not leading down any productive paths here. Well, you're right that the, the phone bill was one reason to be sad. Like, that's a, that's a sudden bill for the charity they weren't expecting. But there was a second reason. Is there anything to do with the amount? Like $2,700? That feels specific. Uh, roughly $2,700. They were sad because they had to work at a charity to save the world. That seems complicated to save at this point in time. So they were sad. Oh, no. And then they got a phone bill and they were like, just close up shop. We're done. Yeah. They're like Everything <laughs> is going wrong right now. Existential climate crisis jokes here, but sure, sure. <laughs> I wonder if like that just shows that the amount of calls they had to make to try to raise money. Like $2,700, it's such a high phone bill. That they probably were on the phone for so much time, but then they didn't actually raise that much money. Maybe it shows like that their efforts are not working. Or maybe somebody was just calling their friends and having yeah. a chit chat. And actually they didn't raise any money. And the phone bill was all to like call in game shows like this one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I am. I, I resent that. This, this is not one of those premium rate call and lose shows that we had for a while. That reference is not going to land for any of the Americans. But for like several years in like the, I think it was late 2000s, early 2010s, Britain had like a, a, a fine line in like late night call-in premium rate shows with oh, just almost impossible questions where you basically had to guess and you would call the number and they'd be like, we're waiting for a caller through to the studio. We're waiting for a call. And a lot of the times just say, sorry, you've been unsuccessful because it was basically a lottery and just as soon as enough people had called and they knew they were making a profit, they'd let someone through. Allegedly. I need to... Mm. Legal, <laughs> legal need to do a check through on exactly what the complaints were about that. But we, we had a... We had a long line in sort of what were termed call and lose shows for a while. And just to be clear, no one here is on a premium right call to be on this uh, to be on this podcast. And definitely nobody from a Polish eco charity. Mm -hmm. I think there's something there with the they weren't raising money, but the call bill was so high that they were able to see that maybe people were not being productive. They were calling one nine hundred numbers. Well, I was thinking maybe is it is it like a difference between outbound and incoming calls as far as how they're billed? Does that matter? There were a lot more calls than expected. People thought that it was the number for the president of Poland. And so they got a lot of calls and everyone was like, hey. And they're like, yo, this is Oleg. And they're like, that's not who I expected to pick up. Oh, maybe they got complaints about like an ad that they ran or something. And so they had a lot of calls come in about like complaints about what they were doing. I, I should clarify, the US is one of the very few countries in the world that bills for incoming calls. Nearly everywhere else, incoming calls are free. Mm. Oh, okay. So this must have been a lot of outgoing calls. They A lot of chit-chat, like you said. Was it just that like they were saddened by all the effort they needed to take to get 
the donations they needed? No, you're way too serious. This has got to be something silly. Like, think about the questions. This is not serious. Uh, like, literally, true. they're making calls to, like, you know, sexy girls on the on the phone booths. There's something weird here. Something's not making... Someone's calling for something wrong. Yeah. You've, you've spotted, Beryl, there is something strange going on with this phone. The phone was actually a telemarketing phone that they didn't realize was a telemarketing phone that was just calling out everybody. That was one of those wonderful moments on this podcast where the first few words are like, she's got it, she's got it. Oh, and then no. it filled out. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the words that were right in that sense. It was, the phone was actually. Oh, okay. Ooh. Was the phone actually like always on? What kind of ecological work would include a phone connection? Okay. Mm. Burying the, the phone lines. If you want to bury the phone lines, you got to make some calls. That's a big initiative in my mom's town because the power lines and phone lines get knocked over during storms. Or above ground. Yeah, yeah. above ground. And it's always like, bury the lines. But that's maybe that's not an eco-initiative and also very specific. Did someone just leave a phone off the hook? That would track. But would a phone off the hook pay? Does that cost money? I'm just real. I'm I'm also processing how many people don't know what that phrase means these days. <laughs> yeah, th- this was a cell phone bill, and it was a little more recent than that. Oh, it's a cell phone bill. I was thinking just of like a rotary phone. I don't know why. Well, I love that your mind went to rotary phone. Like, I mean, like that's so yeah, nice. that's also like very because I don't know. Yeah, it just seemed like a phone bill. Like you don't get phone bills on cell phones. It's just like a monthly plan, right? Like no, I think you do. Maybe they were sending a lot of. T- text did it specify it was phone calls oh international you get you get bills if you do international calls okay and it mentioned that they were polish right so maybe they're like doing something that's actually not in service of like the like poland they were they were doing a lot of prank calls to other countries did they realize that they had crossed a border because of the phone bill and like did work in another country when they shouldn't have and so like suddenly they were roaming and so all the phone calls that they were making turned into international calls. Well, you're, you're getting closer there. They were okay. roaming, but this was very much deliberate roaming. But also we were saying the phone was actually a, the phone was actually a smartwatch and somebody just had calls nonstop because they'd le- slept on it weird. You're, you're getting closer. <laughs> oh my you're, God. It's, it's not close yet, but you're, you're getting steadily closer. The phone was actually a... <laughs> Car? Like a car phone? I don't know. I want to say sandwich. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> what What else might an ecological charity Work use on. a phone connection for? Particularly, Oh, like taking pictures or something? Um, so maybe like, uh, what are they called? Trap camera or whatever. Ooh. So then they had an automatic system that would dial out when it saw something and would like the equivalent of fax a picture. What? But it was bad news. Oh. Yeah. They weren't expecting that big a phone bill from this. It's not uh, a trap camera, but it's definitely that sort of thing. It's not a phone phone initially. Oh, like a tattle. It was like a tattletale program. Like you saw somebody doing something bad and they were like, call it. No, maybe the phone like automatically activates when it sees X thing happen. And maybe they didn't expect X thing to happen that many times. Like the water level hits a certain level or something. What kind and so of they're, phone is this that's just like has like like is sentient and like has sight and makes calls <laughs> on its own? Oh, not quite the phone barrel, but what might you attach the phone to? 
Is it like a big button for bears that says talk to the president of Poland or something? Actually, you know what, Alec? That's that's getting there. Ooh. A big button for humans? No, you, you're going to attach this this transceiver. I'm not even sure I'd call it a phone, but it is technically a phone. You attach this to something. Oh, so like an animal that they were tracking. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me that the animal died and that's how they found out. Well, that's that could be one of the reasons that they're sad, but they're not actually sure what happened to the animal. They oh. sent it off with this little phone tracker It's a pigeon. It. It's on a pigeon. It's on a stork, actually. But yeah, more or less hey, there. That was close. So where did the phone bill come from? Oh, and then maybe it like flew to a different country and that's why there was roaming. Oh, they knew it was going to a different country. It's a stork. They're tracking its migration. Yes. But that's not a $2,700 phone bill. Well, if the, if the stork had a lot of friends and was trying to like throw a party and like needed to call... Did them. someone take the phone from the stork? Someone took the phone from the stork, took the <laughs> SIM card out of the phone... No! And then proceeded <laughs> to make a huge number of international calls on the wow. charity's dime. Who does that? You, like, steal a phone from a bird? It's wild. It was somewhere in Sudan, in the Blue Nile Valley. They assume that the bird was either ill or had possibly died, because how on earth do you sneak up on a stork? But the answer is, they don't know. All they know is someone in Sudan was able to get the SIM card and charge $2,700 of phone bills to the charity. So you're saying the phone wasn't actually a SIM? <laughs> <laughs> As always, our guests have brought questions with them, and we start today with Alec. What have you got for us? Okay. This question has been sent in by Pascal de Vries. In 1816, French physician and musician René Lenec watched two children scratching a long piece of wood with a pin. Later that year, this helped him overcome his deep shyness when helping a young lady, and made him famous. How? One more time. In 1816, French physician and musician René Lenec watched two children scratching a long piece of wood with a pin. Later that year, this helped him overcome his deep shyness when helping a young lady and made him famous. How? How was he helping this young lady? What was he doing? I mean, physician and musician, so there's a couple of options there. He could be giving her, like, music lessons. Also... Physician and musician is is a hell of an overlap there. Very true. I just like the way that sounds. It's got a nice ring to it. He overcame his intense shyness while helping a young lady because he watched two kids. Maybe he had to like perform like music or something. It's just weird phrasing that he was like helping somebody because you would think if you're a doctor, you would be treating somebody or if you're a musician, you would be playing for somebody or performing. Mm. It's like the word helping her, I'm like, with her groceries, and he was too shy to ask, but then was like, remember those kids with the pin. Pin on a long piece of wood. What's that going to sound like? Please now enjoy the sound of the pen in my right hand and my left arm as I try and... It's not a great sound. It's It's like ASMR, but not. (laughs) So why, why do you think the kids would be doing that? They were trying to write their names in the log, probably, because that's what kids do. They want to, like, leave their mark on the world. Or they were trying to make an instrument or something, like, make music. Yeah, I, I had it more as an instrument, like they're scraping it down there to make a make yeah. a noise. Like, when I was a kid, I used to have something that looked like that, where you could, like, play. That's a good line of thought, but 
The noise wasn't necessarily what they were doing. They were sending signals to one another. Oh. They were like, they were like, hey, there's a weird guy watching us. And the kid was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'd be similarly concerned. Mm. Okay. They were using the sound as like a code almost. Like Morse code. Yeah. Remember, he helped a young lady, right? He didn't know her very well. Okay, so he watched he watched these kids scratch a log and the kids were giving each other codes. And then he saw this young lady and he was like, hey, let me help you. And then was like, oh, yeah, remember those kids. Now I'm not shy. I don't see the connection. (laughs) Was he like inspired? It's very, I mean, that is literally what has happened. Yeah, I wonder if he was like inspired by watching the kids interact. And it like gave him confidence to help this person. So if they're sending signals, you can do that by scratching into the wood. You can do that by leaving physical marks on it. Or you can try and use as an amplifier or something like that to, to... send noises but if you were doing that i don't know why you wouldn't just yell into it Uh, for some reason i assume this log was hollow i don't know why i thought that but if it's just a solid piece of wood then you're just scratching things into it that feels like what kids do though right they just like scratch things into things i mean i i think Mm. the like the part that i'm caught up on is like overcoming his shyness seems like a part of it because in overcoming his shyness, he was able to live a fulfilling life Mm. uh, because before watching these kids and said log, he was, you know, I guess a very shy musician physician, which Uh did not get him very far. Yeah. I feel like both of his roles, you have to be kind of a little bit extroverted, like a musician to perform and being a doctor, you have to like be able to ask patients what's going on with them. Um, He didn't want to invade the lady's personal space more than he had to. I'm like stuck because the only way that I can hear the term helped a young lady is like with her groceries. It's the guy who invented the stethoscope. Oh! That's exactly what it is. I thought Tom knew this. I I did not know this, but I I just had this moment of, of like... Sorry, sorry. I realize that vague flailing and enthusiasm does not come across well on, on audio. But this is the problem with like having the YouTube channels that yeah. I watch because I'm like, I know someone's talked about this. Was it Tom? They're tapping on the log. If you tap on one part of it and you put your ear to another part of it, you can, you hear can it. send noise through the log. They weren't tapping on the log, they were scratching on the log. So. Uh, Lenex saw two children sending signals to each other using a long piece of wood and scratching on it. And with an ear on one end, the child could hear the pin being scratched at the other end. And so later that year, he was diagnosing a young woman with symptoms of heart disease, and he didn't want to do the standard thing of pressing his ear against her chest. And so he thought back to those kids he saw scratching messages on a log. I don't know. I I, I call shenanigans on that story. That seems unlikely, but like, (laughs) truly... He was like, you know, young lady, I once saw these two kids playing on a log. BRB, I'm going to go create something. <laughs> yeah, and because of his musician background, he, you know, he was actually had skill making wooden flutes. So he designed a wooden tube for listening to the chest, which was the precursor to the modern stethoscope. 
Next up is a question that has been sent in by a lot of people, uh, the first one of which was anonymous. So we're not actually crediting any individual on this. Thank you to the many, many people who sent this one in. Good luck. Released in 2016 with a U rating, the film Paint Drying solely consists of a single shot of a newly painted brick wall for over 10 hours. What was the director's motivation behind this? I'll say that one more time. Released in 2016 with a U rating, the film Paint Drying solely consists of a single shot of a newly painted brick wall for over 10 hours. What was the director's motivation behind this? And U rating in Britain is equivalent to a G rating. Sort of okay. suitable Unbearable. <laughs> they went with universal over here for some reason. We have, we have huh. uh, U, which is just universal. Uh, I think we used to have one which was UC, which is like particularly for little kids. And then we have PG and then 12, 15, 18, which is like, this is the minimum age to see that. Uh, no, wait, I'm, sorry. This is just a rant about film ratings here, but we also have 12A, which is the equivalent of PG-13, which was brought in purely because parents were like, eh, my kid's fine to see this. So 12A is like, yeah, it should be 12 years, but when we, we let him in. We let him in with an adult. So U does not stand for unbearable. No. <laughs> okay. It's got to be like around the expression of like, it's as boring as watching paint dry. Like maybe he was trying to make a statement. That it's actually not boring to watch yeah. paint dry for 10 hours. <laughs> uh, he was try. It was an ad for a quick drying paint, actually. Ooh. Because that's a rather quick time for outdoor paint to dry. I just had a thought. The the paint that's drying, like I'm picturing just a camera pointed at a wall of watching paint drying, but I think there might be more going on than just that. Or is that literally all we're seeing? That is literally all you're seeing. Oh boy. That reminds me of that Swedish, I think it's from Sweden, slow TV, right? Where it was like you would be on the front of a train going across the country and like everybody would tune in to watch these 12 hour long plus broadcasts of just absolutely nothing. Well, you know, there's that, uh, there's that paint that goes on purple and dries white. Was it like something like that? I don't know. I'm grasping at straws here. But I think the question wasn't the question. What was he actually trying to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what was his motivation behind What this? was his motivation? His motivation was was to kill the theatre industry so that nobody would ever want to go back to the movies again. Mm. We also don't know anything about what audio was happening. Like, there could be something more dynamic going on with the audio. There really wasn't. There's nothing. It's just a bit. Where were they playing this? I'm not sure it was ever actually played anywhere. Uh, oh, so nobody was watching the paint dry. It just streamed, possibly. Or, wait, if nobody watched it, it's like if a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, is the paint still wet? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> if the paint's dry but nobody's touched it, is it still exactly, wet? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I like that. I can tell you for sure someone watched this. The cameraman. Maybe the person that, like, approves films for, like, a festival or something. Oh, yes. I just had, so it was entered into a film festival. Oh, my God. They were, it was a dirty trick. They were trying to get back at somebody for, like, you know, stealing their tractor. Like, waste someone's time? You submit, like, yeah. a 10-hour thing that's boring. You're trying to waste the person who... Yep. This time. was mostly out of spite. 
Oh, ooh, that's dirty. I love it. It's great. Very specific bit of spite here. Okay. Oh, maybe someone, maybe someone like commented about his last movie and was like, it was more boring than watching Paint Dry. <gasps> and then he was like, hey, I'm gonna actually oh. show you how boring watching Paint Dry is. That, yeah, that, and then like maybe the person who made that. But why would they yeah. have to watch it? Someone has. Well, maybe they to say watch. they have, they watch every single submission. And so he's like, okay, you say you watch every single submission, like, here's 10 hours. So who had to watch it in the whole film process? Oh, the judges that were mean about his last movie. Oh, the ratings agency. The ratings agency. Because <laughs> they have to watch everything to see it. So he probably... What so this, did the ratings guy do to him? They must have given him a bad rating. <laughs> so they, he probably got a rating. I bet they. he thought that either they missed something or they rated something of his too strictly. And then they were... He it was a protest against the cost of having films rated. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so he did a Kickstarter, worked out how much he'd got from that, and that was the length that the film could be, 10 hours, 7 minutes, at the rate of £101.50 plus £7.09 pence per minute of runtime. So someone had to sit down at the ratings agency and watch 10 hours, 7 minutes, just in order to make sure that there wasn't some weird flash wow. he put in there. <laughs> yep, his name was Charlie Shackleton, and he made the film to force the British Ratings Agency to watch 10 hours plus of paint drying as a protest against the high costs. Jacqueline, over to you for the next one. Amazing. All right. This next question is sent in by Felicia Barker, and it says, in June 2022, Nine kilometers or 5.5 miles of track was added to Britain's railway network. It didn't connect any new stations or infrastructure and provided no additional benefit. A few weeks later, it was gone. What happened? I'll read that again. In June 2022, nine kilometers or 5.5 miles of track was added to Britain's railway network. It didn't connect any new stations or infrastructure and provided no additional benefit. A few weeks later, it was gone. What happened? I should know this. I should absolutely know this, and I do not. I've got nothing. I had so I had an idea, okay. but then I I think the idea is wrong. But I know that in Japan they've done this, where they've created stations that have no connecting points that are there for you to marvel at the train system and at the nature around it. And there are actually two such stations in the UK for that, that you can get on off at this station, but there are no on or off ramps. So you just stand there until the next train comes. And the idea is to like marvel at the train system. That's definitely true for Japan. I think the one in the UK is more prosaic in that it's at an army base. So the train station is like national rail property and you can get off the train, but then you're just not allowed to go any further because it's a bleak military base in the middle of nowhere. But I, this obviously is not correct for your clue because they built the track, then they disassembled the track, correct? It says it was gone. So what I, I know that there are some like abandoned stations that get used as movie sets. And I'm thinking that like, okay, they needed to connect a portion of it to roll a train in for filming and that's all they did and then but so it like it was added to the network just to get a train someplace 
and then they didn't need it anymore. I like the idea a lot, but that's not necessarily in the right direction. But also if it's not connecting to anything, it, it didn't like, it didn't go to anything. It didn't connect any new stations. And that one that was purely built to get around US law was somewhere in Canada, I think, or somewhere in northern US. There was one very short railway of about 300 meters that was built purely to get around a, a US law that says some complicated mm. thing to do with trains and boats having to connect and you can't travel between two US ports on some... Anyway, they unloaded stuff, moved it 300 meters, and then put it back on the ship to do a loophole. But that can't be this, because it's nine <laughs> kilometers and it's in the UK, and I'm just annoyed I don't know this, because it feels like something I should have filmed. Maybe it's something to do with municipality laws if they were like, oh, if you have X amount of train track in your town, then you get X amount of funding. And so they were like, oh, uh, yeah, no, we have it. It's uh, just <laughs> give us one week and just come. Yep. Just it's right over here. I would think a little bit less about laws and a little bit more about science. <laughs> oh, oh, hang what? on. Um, OK, not this, but there is a railway up in Scotland that doesn't connect to anywhere. It just goes okay. from the beach for like several kilometers inland in a straight line. And it's for uh, cable and pipe laying ships. They can just build a section of pipe, put it on the railway, move it along, put it on the railway, move it along, put it on the railway, move it along. And then at the end, when it's all connected up, a, a ship can just connect at the end and drag the whole thing out shore in one go. That is about nine kilometers. But it wasn't part of the network. That's just a thing that someone's Wait, built. what if it's like a runaway train ramps like they have those runaway truck ramps in the mountains if the if a truck is going too fast down a mountain then they veer up this little tiny road that they build so they can slow down maybe it was at the end of a hill and this extra train track was so that the trains could slow down because they were going too fast okay well another interesting thing to think about is that it didn't cost (laughs) (laughs) i like the idea but no We, we don't do yes ands on this show. This is this isn't game changer. You're just you're, you're just no, not that. <laughs> I do like the idea though. I didn't know that was a thing. Okay, it did not cost the network rail any amount of money. Okay, here's an off the wall idea, which I'm sure I, I hope it's not. I doubt this is the case, but like, okay, do they have two adjacent tracks and the gauge was correct so that the two inner tracks could become a third track and they were like using mm-hmm. this weird middle section for some reason? No, but that's really smart. Oh, but it could be it could be something that was kind of not a part of the network or anything and it just kind of got added under like British Rail's network for a while just before it was destroyed. You said it was gone afterwards, right? It wasn't destroyed, though. It was gone. The word gone is kind of important. Maybe the tracks were made out of mud. They were (laughs) mud tracks, like animal tracks. We're thinking tracks. I like the idea of thinking about, like, non-traditional ways that tracks are there. You said, like, science. Yeah, you said science experiment or something? The tracks were made out of something that disintegrated when it rained. And they were gone because it rained. And they were actually made out of flour. <laughs> this is like something to do with a te- like um, developing the ballast or the, the stuff that the rails go in to hold them there. It was like testing different materials. Packing peanuts. Yeah, or some mm. sort of a test track for testing a new technology or technique. They didn't necessarily 
test something new, but something just happened. Oh, hang on. This is June 2022, yes. middle of summer. Oh, that's when there was a heat wave. They melted. The tracks melted. Or it was a, an old train track in a valley that had been flooded for a dam or something like that, and the water level got low enough to reveal the tracks. Mm, that was really smart, Tom, but you were more on track with the heat thing. <laughs> ah, okay. There's something with the heat. And did it, did the, was it so hot that the rails expanded and touched something to the point that, like... No, it was just so hot that the rails expanded. Yes. Because, they, because, the rail, oh. because there's thousands of kilometers of track <laughs> and thermal expansion in the middle of the heat wave added nine kilometers. Oh, yes. I hate that question. Well done. <laughs> Killed it. Okay, yeah, so the basically, during the height of the heat wave in the UK, the temperatures had risen so much that the track rails were expanding significantly. And on June 19th, Network Rail said that they expected the track to expand by 30 centimeters for every kilometer. So that would be like one foot for every 0.6 miles. And since they have 30,000 kilometers of tracks, that added nine kilometers to the question. Okay, so now I want to know, do trains have an odometer or something like that? So they could actually tell, okay, today we've gone 30 feet longer than we normally go. They don't, but I found out that modern electric trains have a electric meter. Like It's not like a domestic one, but it used to be that uh, the power companies would just calculate how many track miles each one ran and just figured, oh yeah, they probably cost about that much. And now modern electric trains actually have a meter on them to see how much power they've been using. So I guess in theory, That's cool. you could work it out from that, but I feel like there's so many confounding factors. Yeah, so it's wild that because of the heat wave, the network rail system expanded by nine kilometers, but then when the temperature went back down, it went back to its normal length. Thank you to Jonah Hyman for sending in this question. In a 2012 science documentary, Tadayoshi Kono smeared honey on the window of an office door. What was he trying to demonstrate? And one more time, in a 2012 science documentary, Tadayoshi Kono smeared honey on the window of an office door. What was he trying to demonstrate? So like, okay, my, my like instinct is something, it's, it's about like, oh, uh, glass is liquid and honey moves really slow as well. So maybe it was something there, but then I was like, no, it's not that. And then I thought about the, you catch more, you yeah. catch more bees with honey than with vinegar. And then I thought about that. He was actually protesting the tea conditions in the break room because the quality was so poor. I love the train of thought. <laughs> I love the train of thought. Uh, sadly, nowhere near, but I appreciate the, the multiple twists and turns that took. Okay, what about, there? I feel like there's something with um, the fact that it drips so slowly. Like honey in particular has like a very specific type of texture versus into other things, like why honey? And you can kind of still see through it. But why an office door window? What does he not want you to see? You can kind of see through honey though. Was this office something to do with honey? Or is it like out of left field that this guy somewhere mm. was like, I'm going to spread honey all over this door? <laughs> it was just like a disgruntled office worker. And it was actually a spree across all of, uh, I'm not sure what country he was from, but. <laughs> if I was the production company, I could do this in my own office. He was trying to catch, there was a fly problem. And he was, it was a natural way to get rid of pests in the office. He was doing everyone a favor. Mm. Maybe he was trying to show that there was an issue with insects and stuff. Well, I was just trying to think of like, like the act of smearing honey. It just feels like 
really sticky and gross yeah. and like tactile and absolutely horrible. Um, but it it's not going to completely obscure the view of something. Honey is just like, you're only going to now just be like, why is there honey all over that office door window? Mm. Like, I don't think that he's able to like hide behind the honey. Honey does crystallize after a while. So would it turn opaque if you had like... <laughs> like he was like, frosting the windows? Sort of, yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> bizarre way to frost the glass, just smear honey mm. all over it. Well, you are edging around the right area there. The window was a little bit special. Oh, the window's special. Okay. It was a bathroom window. It was a bathroom door. Everybody was looking in in the bathroom. When you say bathroom window, what do you mean by that, Beryl? I mean, you know, like your average bathroom, just full of uh, windows on all the doors. <laughs> I don't if know. You, if you did have a window on there, how might it be a bit different? Oh, like normally it's like kind of opaque, right? Where like you can kind of see through, you can't fully see what's going on. It like almost obscures. Frosted glass. Oh, oh, is it the thing? Okay. Because, like, if you put a piece of tape on frosted glass, it makes the frosting go away. So does honey do the same thing? Honey does the same Ew, thing. Ew, he was trying ah. to see through the bathroom windows? Oh, nasty boy. It, it, and that's why it was an office window. They found an office which had a frosted glass window. And, yeah, it turns out that uh, you can do it with tape. Uh, you can do it with honey. It smooths out the etching enough. That's so cool because it reflects the light. And the refractive index is close enough that it turns the etched glass, the frosted glass, into regular glass. That's so cool. So yes, uh, Yoshi Kono is a security expert. So he was demonstrating for the science documentary a hack that lets you see through frosted glass. Our last guest question comes from Beryl. Over to you. All right, here we go. On some old British trams... A brass strip was mounted on the front wall of the passenger cabin. It was about two inches long and contained four deep horizontal grooves of different sizes. What was it for? Okay, I'll read it one more time. On some old British trams, a brass strip was mounted on the front wall of the passenger cabin. It was about two inches long and contained four deep horizontal grooves of different sizes. What was it for? We have two British transport questions in this show, and I know neither of them. I've got nothing. Well, it's also a show with all Americans. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Does this have anything to do with coins? Yes. Oh, wow. Because I was thinking when you drive a tram, you have like four or so settings of like how much speed you can put into it. And you basically have just put the engine on for a bit and then off. And I was thinking it was to do with that. But no, it's to do with coins. Never mind. Because the way you were describing it, I was thinking of like a change holder. But now I'm wondering, like, was this like a coin mechanism and there's a coin operated door to let you into the tram? No. Oh. Yeah, it's just like when you're in a car and you just need some change for the toll booths. You know, the, the toll booths well, yeah. go through. I don't know where I was going <laughs> with that. I just That's what I was like imagining it. is that it was a holder yeah. for like the tram driver to keep change. But it's made of brass. And coins are conductive, so maybe it's it's meant to be a conductive thing, but I don't know why you'd use coins for that. Maybe they're not like monetary coins. Maybe they're like different, like a different type of coin. Is this some sort of revolutionary battery-powered tram and you need like copper and zinc, <laughs> and so you're putting different coins in there? 
Uh, this is just your average run-of-the-mill tram. Just your everyday tram. The, the kind that Tom drove, possibly. <laughs> Could it be for signalling? There are okay. old trains and tram networks where rather than having, like, flashing lights or coloured lights or, like, physical signals, you needed to carry an actual token, which is what they called it. Uh, and then when you got to, like, a single-track line where, in theory, you could meet an oncoming tram or bump something else, you had to have a physical token that there was only one of to have permission to get through. And then at the other side, you would hand it off, and so that person has the token and they're allowed to go through that line. But I don't know why you'd have four horizontal grooves for varying sizes, unless the, the tokens are all different sizes. You have a lot of obscure train knowledge. <laughs> of course. I don't know. Look at me. I'm, <laughs> that's not a surprising thing. I'm exactly that kind of nerd. Like, it's, it's, you shouldn't be surprised by obscure train knowledge. You, you should be surprised I didn't immediately get both those questions because I was subscribed to some obscure newsletter about British trains. Like, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 70 kilos of, of asthma. You know, what, what else am I going to be interested in? Uh, yeah, I think at this point you have too much knowledge and you're going too deep. I thought that might be the case, yes. <laughs> Is this just, could, could this be as simple as a coin sorter? It's I think I think the key word here is it's like it's something simple. And uh, Jacqueline was she said something I should have interrupted because it was a while ago. But you did say it had to possibly do. Sorry, with... I went off on a rant about tokens. <laughs> yeah, we were too late. I had to let Tom continue down that bizarre path. It's not bizarre. Um, it's perfect. <clears throat> Sorry, carry on. Bizarre, but interesting. OK, uh, but Jacqueline, you did say something about the coins being different. OK, yeah, I don't think that they're monetary coins. They are monetary coins. Oh, but they're different in some way? Because my thought was like, maybe they're like tokens, but they're shaped as coins. Something would be inserted into the appropriate groove. And then something would happen briefly to that object. Oh, maybe you like put coins in and they like flatten them or like turn them into like something different. Is this just like, like counterfeit detection? Uh-huh. Ah, okay. <laughs> but... The grooves are to test whether the coins were real. And if the oh. coins were not real, they would bend when put onto the grooves where the real coins would not. Hmm. If a conductor had any doubt about whether they had been given a genuine coin by a passenger, they would insert it into the groove on the appropriate thickness for that type of coin. They would then try to bend it and fake coins would bend and real ones would not. The different grooves were used for the different thicknesses of coins. And this became obsolete in 1971. Which is when we decimalized and we changed all our currency. And that was when Tom was driving the tram. Hey, hey, look, Gen Z here. Don't you, don't you dare. Hey, I am a young millennial. I am not Gen Z. <laughs> the very last thing then, and given that everyone smiled when I read this out at the start of the show, I suspect you'll know the answer. Which company wished Happy Father's Day to people who weren't their customers? Panel? Trojan. Tro Trojan is what I was thinking. It was Durex, but yes, oh, the other close one. enough. Oh, okay. <laughs> one of the condom companies. You're absolutely right, as a jibe against their competitors. With that, thank you very much to all our players. Let's find out what's going on with the shows you run and your lives. Let's start with Jacqueline. Ooh, thank you so much for having me. This is like the most fun I've had on a podcast. Um, I run a tech YouTube channel where I do real day in life reviews of the latest consumer tech and interview executives. And where can people find you? 
Ooh, yeah, should have mentioned that. Um, you can look up Nothing But Tech on YouTube or my name, Jacqueline Dallas. Alec, where can people find you? You can find me at youtube.com, search for Technology Connections, and that will be my channel name. And Beryl. If you want to continue to explore the world of food and cultures all around you, you can find my channel on YouTube under Beryl Sherishevsky. We have awesome episodes like Food Waste and Durian coming up. Thank you very much to all the players. If you want to know more about this show, then you can do that at lateralcast.com, where you can also send in your own questions. You can find us at lateralcast on pretty much every social network, and you can catch video highlights every week at youtube.com slash lateralcast. With that, thank you very much to Alec from Technology Connections. Hi, thanks for having me. To Jack and Dallas. Thank you. And to Beryl Shavashevsky. Yay, thank you. I've been Tom Scott, and that's been Lateral. <laughs>